You're listening to Education Review Radio. This podcast was brought to you by Big Ass Fans, the industry leader in ceiling fans for all sizes, perfect for your school hall, gymnasium, classroom and more. Big Ass Fans offer the very best fans that are energy efficient and silent to keep your students and teachers comfortable all year round. Let Big Ass Fans help you create the perfect learning environment for happy and productive students. Hi, I'm Wade Zaglis, the Education Editor for Campus Review. Today I'm talking to Dr Lucas Carey, a research academic at Edith Cowan University in Perth. As a long-time educator, trainer and coach, he has extensive experience in helping others achieve their own life and educational goals. His special research interests are in criminology and convict criminology, and we are pleased to be talking to him today about the forgotten learners during this COVID crisis, those in prison. Dr Carey, getting an education in the clink, to use a colloquial term, is seen as one of the few benefits of being incarcerated. But how important is this education of prisoners for societies, families and other groups in the world? It's a great question. It's, uh, it's a question with so many different levels. Uh, I think the first part um, is the benefit to the actual person themselves. Um, and, and I know that sounds very funnel vision, but mm-hmm. in, in being in a position where they, the incarcerated person has a focus, has a, a, a place to direct their energies, has a place to, to, to come away with the idea of bettering themselves, during that experience is important then that individual benefit then links on to their own families because if, if you picture that someone's been incarcerated for a period of time and effectively they they do nothing to better themselves and they come back to society or their family or the community without having improved their skills effectively they fall back into potentially the unemployment cycle mm-hmm. potentially a poverty cycle and then effectively potentially even the crime cycle and it, it provides options for people's families um, it provides options for them as um, yeah, as, as providers for families or also as supporters for families it also gives um, the individuals that I've spoken to a, an opportunity to reconnect um, with their own kids to reconnect with their own adult kids and to reconnect with employers because they're able to come and tell a story that while they were involved in one of the most negative um, periods of their time, they were able to actually develop a set of skills and turn their mistake into a positive. And, and, and as I continue to, to travel along speaking to people, is that is, a, that, that is something that, that I know that, that, that kids look for in parents. I know that families look for in, 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 in you know, their own family members. And then also employers and society look for in people. So it's a... It's a super important thing. What did you think or feel when you looked at some of the comments from the prisoners that were that you collected um, as, as part of your project? Did you feel some anger, failure, disappointment? Can you talk a bit about that? I mean, there were some strong, very strong statements in there. Uh, absolutely. Probably all of the above and some um is speaking to i speak to a lot of uh, a lot of men and, and and ladies that are 
either currently incarcerated or recently released just as part of my, my work ongoing. And the discussions that, that the guys whose comments I'd used um, were strong. Um, and they did in, in, in bring forward some, some anger. Um, but on the flip side, it also brought forward some ideals that, um, that, that some people are suffering um, on the outside just as much as the guys are on the inside, is that some of their opportunities are taken away uh, on the inside, but it has also happened to some people on the outside. So some people in the community tend to project that life inside is extraordinarily different, is, to, is, is moved away um, from their own reality. But the reality of that suggests is that they, the guys incarcerated, guys and girls incarcerated, experience a lot of the same things that people on the outside do, but just under more of a microscope. So the, 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 the men that have had their, uh, had their chance to do education taken away, some of them have taken it really negatively and some of them have, have, have not, not regressed into negative behaviours, but some of them have, have, have shown some real mental health challenges because the focus on their education was something that was keeping them focused on getting through. Um, on the flip side to that, though, some of them have, have ticked on and have kept, kept moving through. And that the important part of it is, is that there's that there's something to come from it. Now, they might miss out inevitably now, but the ability to look forward for some of these guys is great. And there's, a, there's something that I discuss in one of my other pieces of work coming forward, and it's called post-traumatic growth, a little bit different to post-traumatic stress. And the post-traumatic growth is the opportunity where these guys come out of this negative experience, yeah. in this case, not having their education to focus on, and they actually grow from the traumatic experience rather than actually stressed by the traumatic experience. And that's probably something I look at in the comments that these guys have made. That's really interesting. And, and you're right, some, some of the comments are quite stoic and, and optimistic. Um, they're not all, you know, very negative or, um, you know, sulky. Um, this might be a bit of a tricky question, but can you see any justification in suspending or cancelling educational programs in Australian jails at the moment? Very, very tough question. It, obviously, we're dealing with with the COVID nineteen stuff at the moment, and it, it, anyone anyone that understands the way the world is operating and has paid any attention to the way that um, that infection rates inside jails overseas are, are, are skyrocketing, especially in places like the US. Um, I don't know if suspending or cancelling education programs is, is right, but definitely altering them or definitely changing them to be in a different format. But there are some challenges with that um, because obviously many of the, um, the large majority of the incarcerated men and women doing education don't get free range access to the internet. So they don't have the ability to jump online, download their, um, their information or their resources to continue doing their work in their cells or wherever their units that they're actually being housed in. What um, the complete cancellation of it to me doesn't make sense. The suspending of it potentially, but I think there's probably a better model. I think there's a better model that we can look at that doesn't rely exclusively on um, educational management to have to staff something. Um, in speaking to a lot of uh, in speaking to a lot of the guys at some of the facilities, especially in Victoria and especially in, in Western Australia, is they have an education officer who, through the safe, their own safety and their requirements, they have been not laid off, but they've been put on stay-at-home duties. Now, 
the effectiveness of that and the, the, the truth of that matter is that an education officer in a prison based at home, that just doesn't work because there's no way known that they can contact or connect with the, uh, the person that is actually incarcerated. So that doesn't work. The alternate to that, which has been used in some places, again, especially, uh, especially in Victoria, has been the ability for, for family members to visit and take, um, and take some resources into, into their loved ones uh, so that they can continue their work. However, with visits stopped, that becomes impossible as well. So there's some real practical challenges in regards to the use of computers and shared places um, when we're trying to manage such, a, such an outcome um, that, that, that make things difficult. So suspension or cancelling, no, but definitely the restructuring or altering access opportunities for people is definitely a must. Or maybe like a staggered type program like they're using in the schools. Yeah, possibly. Something like that. Possibly. Um, yeah, possibly that could work. Approximately how many people in Australia in jails are receiving an education of, of some sort? And, and do you know where we stand compared with other OCD countries? It's a very fluid, it's a very fluid question because the, the, the term education varies depending upon if you ask an incarcerated person or if you ask a prison officer or if you ask an administrative person. And it almost paints a bigger picture because education in some areas could be, okay, we're doing a barista course. Um, and a barista course is classed as education. However, the reality is, is if a 50, 60 year old uh, incarcerated person is doing a barista course, I'm not certain that that education actually is going to turn into something when they come, when they return to, to the community. So education for the sake of what our conversation will be is I'll talk tertiary, I'll talk you know, university studies or TAFE studies. There is a small proportion, um, and I don't have exact numbers on it, but there's a small proportion per state because of allocations of funding. Um, also, many of these um, educational opportunities, the incarcerated person has to fund themselves. Um, so I, I've spoken to a, a gentleman in the last couple of weeks that wants to do a uh, backhoeing course, um, and he has to find $1,500 himself uh, to pay for this backhoeing course. Now, He's on $26 a week, which is his payment to be made uh, for his work that he does in jail. And his family is at home with his, bar, his wife on a pension supporting two children and himself. Now, that educational opportunity is there and provided to him, but the reality is he can't get access to it. He's not going to be able to afford to do that, which means that, that he misses out on doing something that inevitably could actually turn into a meaningful employment position for him when he comes home. Uh -huh. In regards to the tertiary side of it, HEX is obviously, you know, the, the fee help is obviously an option. Um, however, the challenge is, is that some of the, the, the guys have talked through is that some of the courses that are offered through, through courses such or through groups such as open universities or other opportunities don't necessarily provide opportunities that are going to be realistic when they go home, one of the one of the guys I'd spoken to um, was was on the was in the middle of a five year sentence, um, and he had just commenced as a 22 year old boy or man had just commenced a an accounting degree. Uh -huh. Now that's fantastic, fantastic, great. He is doing an accounting degree. That's brilliant. However, he wasn't told that the reality of that situation is with a criminal conviction, he's going to find it extraordinarily difficult. To actually become a member of the uh, of the accredited the CPA, accounting group when he yeah. returns home, the CPA, because of that. That's so difficult, are we isn't setting, it? Mm. Absolutely. 
are we setting that guy up for failure? Because um, is he getting a realistic industry-based set of information before he comes home? So there are opportunities. There are definitely a small amount of numbers. Um, and in regards to other countries, there are groups, such as in America, there's a group called um, Convict Criminology. And what they do is they look at actually providing education to um, higher education through universities who have pairings and relationships with, um, with prisons in the US. Um, and we're very early on in that stage here in Australia. Um, but it's something that I definitely want to explore myself as we keep progressing through. Finally, Dr. Carey, are states and territories in your mind failing their inmates or doing the best they can do in terms of education? In terms of education. I'm glad you put that cap on the end. Um, (laughs) In regards to that, the the, the commonality between all states and territories is almost nil. Um, So every state has their own process there's no such, there's no NAPLAN type setup where people are being assessed before being put into education. Yeah. And the reality is in some places of education, especially through the, the, the TAFE side inside, educa- inside um, prisons and jails, is that that, that, that is effectively a, a monetary um, making process for the, uh, for the correction centre. So it's, it's a challenge. I, I'm not going to say anyone's failing. Um, and I'm not going to say that anyone's, you know, pumping out the greatest results possible, but I just think that there is some, well, to use an analogy, I think we're probably missing the mark in some areas. I think what's being offered doesn't necessarily match what is required for when those guys are returned back to the community. Um, and, and the stories that I get told from, from the people I speak to is really strong in that. We had a guy that I spoke to that was doing a traffic management course um, through through his correctional facility in South Australia. And the course resulted in him um, passing, getting what he believed was a qualification. When he returned to South Australia and he went to attempt to get a job, he still had to complete 100 hours um, of practical... I'm, I'm going to say 100, might not have been 100, but it was a certain amount of hours, literally work experience on site. Now, for him to get that, he had to go through a police check. So he couldn't effectively finish what he had started in an educational sense in a TAFE. So there are just, I'm not going to say failing, but there are some definitely some fine tuning that yeah. I think the voices of people experiencing it shared with the voices of people administrating it need to come together and work through. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's almost a bit of mapping that needs to be done. Wade, I think it's a, a mapping situation of what it looks like. So what, what, what incarceration, what education has occurred before incarceration, during and prior, and then what does that look like when, when, when they come home? Um, we've, I've, I've, myself and a couple of my, my um, colleagues, um, Lucas Camay, who's based in Victoria, and Luke Anderson, who's also based in Victoria, we, we've actually in the process of, of getting some ethical clearance to commence a study on mapping educational um, outcomes for a set of um, previously incarcerated men in Victoria and having a look at what they had done prior to, during and post-incarceration and how that linked to or didn't link to their gaining of meaningful employment um, once they were released. And I think that is going to be a really important piece that's going to use previously incarcerated people's voices, provide an actual picture to the management teams of correctional facilities who in the in the large part way do a fantastic job 
Sure. Um, they yeah. do a fantastic job, you know, dealing with some difficult challenges. But being able to have that, that little lived experience and that information from um, those guys, I think is going to be an available, valuable tool that I don't think is being yoked and resourced and used enough at the moment. Well, Dr. Lucas Carey from Edith Cowan University, thank you so much for speaking to Education Review. Thanks, Wade. I appreciate your time.